the podcast for We Hope Glasgow. We're so glad that you're taking the time to listen to this message from Sunday. May it be a blessing to you today. Good morning, folks. I want to start this morning by telling you about two absolute legends, two heroes of mine. They're called Peggy and Christine Smith. They should be up here. They're coming. There they are. Okay, so the guy in the middle, he's, he's quite a cool guy as well. I like him. But he would agree the legends in this photo are to the left and to the right. Two little old ladies called Peggy and Christine Smith. They lived in the Isle of Lewis up in the Hebrides. And they were old. They were in their 80s in about 1949. They were in their 80s. They were disabled. One of them couldn't barely walk. The other one was blind. They couldn't get to church. They couldn't get to the prayer meeting. So they had to stay at home. But they were so passionate about Jesus that they turned their house where they lived together, sisters, they turned their house into a house of prayer. And they prayed extraordinary prayers. They got on their knees day in, day out. They were often known to pray through the night, all night, regularly, drawing in a few neighbors sometimes to pray with them. And they prayed passionately. But they prayed for something very specific. They prayed that the entire island of Lewis and many islands around in every single community, that everybody would be touched by God powerfully. Every young person, every old person, everybody. They had a vision of churches packed out, of pubs being emptied, of people meeting to pray and worship all through the night in their thousands. And it, I don't think there are tens of thousands, but if there were, in their tens of thousands up there. They had this passion and it happened. One night in 1949, they were meeting to pray and a few of their friends, the neighbors were in with them and they were praying about two or three hours into prayer. Breakthrough. Something changed in the atmosphere. God showed up in power and they all looked at each other and they said, this is it, it's happening, finally. At that same moment, just down the road in the local church, a prayer meeting was coming to the end and just a handful of people as usual and the minister closed the, ser the sermon at about 11 o'clock at night and they went out, opened the doors and 700 people had surrounded that church and he said, the minister said, what are you doing here? You know, can you imagine last thing, staff, if you imagine last thing tonight, you go out and the people of Partick are surrounded, you'd be afraid, right? <laughs> so he's like, what's going on here? Why, why are you here? And folk are like, We've come out of bed, we've come out of the pub, we've come out of, we just have this overwhelming feeling that God is, is telling us to come to church and to hear about Jesus. That happened. And the minister couldn't fit them all in the church. He started preaching, they started worshipping, the Holy Spirit moved in power. And they were there till 5 a.m. Young people, old people, everyone. The same thing happened the next night and the night after that, and then the next town, and then the town after that, all the way through Lewis and through the Hebrides, and it lasted three years until not almost, almost every household was touched by God. Two little old ladies, Peggy and Christine Smith, heroes. 
A few years ago, I lived in Portland. My wife and I went out to Portland in America. And people told us about one thing about Portland. It's the least reached place in America. There's, there's hardly any church there. And, you know, it's the biggest need for Christians in America. I didn't find that. I'm sorry. When I was there, there was loads of Christians. There was loads of churches, churches everywhere, mega churches everywhere. And I was thinking, wow, if this is a place in America where there's not a lot going on Christian-wise, America's doing pretty well. It's just my opinion. But it wasn't always the case. If you go back to the turn of the 19th century in the USA, this is what people said about the church. The church is too far gone ever to be redeemed. Christianity will be forgotten in 30 years. Christianity was about to be, is about to be ushered out of the affairs of men finally and for good. It seemed as if the church in America was to be completely wiped out and it was going to be a completely atheist, non-Christian society from then on. But something changed. Next picture. This little pamphlet went around. Jonathan Edwards wrote this. Well, actually, a Scottish person wrote this, and Jonathan Edwards put his name to it in brackets. Uh, an ex- a call to, ex- uh, to explicit agreement, an extraordinary prayer, and united prayer for the church. Right? This pamphlet went out, and the idea was that, that they were trying to get every church in America that was about to die out to start praying extraordinary united prayers for revival and for awakening. One by one, almost every church in the eastern seaboard in America took that pamphlet and ran with it. And they decided they were going to pray. An extraordinary prayer means 50 days of prayer. It means week-long fasting and prayer, everything that we do at Rehope. And they did it. They were up all night. They prayed, they prayed, they prayed. And breakthrough came. Just like I mentioned in Lewis, the same thing happened in America at that time in an extraordinary way. People flocked to the church in their thousands, in their thousands, all over New England, all over America, out to the Wild West at that time. Thousands upon thousands. And America has never been the same again because of this little pamphlet and a call to pray and the response of the church. Fast forward, that lasted 50 years, by the way. In Wales, in 1904 in Wales, Something extraordinary happened. Imagine this happened here in Glasgow. In the space of five months, God moved in power and awakening and revival in Wales. And 250,000 people gave their lives to Jesus in five months. Could you imagine if that happened in our community? There's so much I could say, but I don't have time for that. But one thing I will say, next slide. Where did that all begin? It began in a little chapel, this little chapel here, in a little village in Wales that I can't pronounce. (laughs) At 10 a.m. on a Saturday morning at a prayer meeting with a handful of teenagers and a a few little old ladies again, little old ladies, right? They got together at 10 a.m. Saturday morning and they prayed and they prayed and they prayed and a young 19-year-old girl stood up and she, she prayed a prayer, confessing what she thought about Jesus, and suddenly heavens opened, and the Spirit of God poured out in that place. And people say that was the start 
of that five-month revival where 250,000 people gave their lives to Jesus. What's going on here? Well, Edwin Orr, a church historian, sums it up. He says, there has never been a spiritual awakening that hasn't started with concerted, united, and sustained prayer. All of these things, all of these great movements of God always started, it wasn't just a case of it just happened. It started with united, concerted, sustained prayer. Why? Well, the Bible makes it very clear. If you're in Bible read-through, you'll notice this all through the Bible. Second Chronicles 7.14 says, If my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven. I will forgive their sins and I will heal their land. That's God's promise. If my people pray. This is what's going on here. Christine and Peggy Smith, they prayed. That little church, that, that little group in Wales, they prayed. Those churches, they responded to that pamphlet. They prayed. Look what God did. Look what God did when they prayed. I think the most important word in that verse is the very first one. If. If my people pray. That's a challenge. That's a challenge to us. It's a challenge to, to the church. Are you going to pray? Are you going to see these things happen in your lives, in your households, in your communities? Now, that's pretty much my sermon. I could just stop there. You kind of get, you get the point. But I'm going to go on because here's the thing. I have to ask the question. What happens if we don't pray? What happens if we just carry on? What happens? Um, does it really matter? Does it really make a difference? Is God not going to just do what God does and we'll just get on with what we do? In the past few years, I've learned a, a, a few things about prayer. And when I really boil it down, there's two reasons why I pray. And I believe this is actually two reasons as well why Rehope prays. I'm sure the elders here will agree. And I'm going to uh, basically just describe these two reasons for you and then I'm done. So firstly, this is why I pray. This is why I feel like I can't not pray. If I pray, I am in a position to experience God to the fullest. If I pray, I am in a position to experience God to the fullest. And I've got in my brackets here, if I don't, I won't. Or if I don't, I'm way less likely to experience God to the fullest. Without prayer, we miss out on the awesome moments in our relationship with God. Without prayer, we're missing out. All those times of, of hearing from God, of being empowered by God, of God touching our hearts, of God changing us, of God blessing us, of, of God like healing things that we didn't know we needed healed. Powerful experiences in our real living relationship with God. That happens through prayer. And my argument is it doesn't happen when we're not praying or it's way less likely. How do I know this? Let's take Paul, for example, in the, in the book of Acts. Before Paul followed Jesus, when he was in the habit of just going around killing people that did follow Jesus, um, this is how Jesus 
spoke to him. This is, this is how, uh, how the connection was made. It says here in Acts 9, 3 and 4. Now, as he was on his way, he approached Damascus and suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him and falling to the ground, he heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Paul, this is Paul or Saul, before he was walking with Jesus, before he had a relationship with Jesus, Jesus just showed up and spoke to him. But fast forward a few years when Jesus was actually walking, when Paul was actually walking with Jesus, we had a relationship, let's see how, how things happened. In Acts 22, 17 and 18, it says, when I had returned to Jerusalem, this is Paul speaking, and was praying in the temple, I fell into a trance and saw him saying to me, Jesus saying to me, make haste and get out of Jerusalem quickly because they will not accept your testimony about me. Do you see the difference here? In the first one, he's not walking with Jesus. Jesus just shows up and imparts this powerful message to him. But once he has a relationship with Jesus, it's through prayer that he receives a very, very, he has a very similar experience. But it's through prayer, it's through that relationship. He's in the temple, he's praying. This happens all through the book of Acts. In fact, the book of Acts, we've just finished John. The disciples that were, were left without Jesus has, has risen, they start praying. They start praying hard. There's only 12 books in Acts out of 28 where the people aren't praying. It's all through it. And that's where God shows up in power. Just think Peter, when he's on the roof, um, he's praying. And that's when God tells him about the Gentiles. So many. Here's, a, here's one here. Acts chapter 4, verses 31 says, When, this is the believers, the, the disciples, when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. So when they, were, when they had prayed, when they had prayed, they'd learned in the book of Acts, Jesus' disciples had learned that they need to be praying to experience God. They need to be praying to be connected with God in that way. Now, Here's the thing, right? I don't know if other people are like this, but every now and again, I have a day off. And I'm in event management, and I do lots of nights and weekends, and I love it when a day off comes along. And I wake up in the morning, I'm exhausted, and I say to myself, right, here's the conflict in my mind. I've got two choices here. I've really not spent any time with Jesus in a long time. I've been so busy. I could really do with praying, I could do it, like doing, catching up my Bible, read through, spend time with Jesus. But all I want to do is lie on the couch, put on Netflix, and see how many Fast and Furious movies I can get through before Courtney gets back. I'm just being honest. That's where, I, that's where I'm at. 32. Uh, <laughs> so this is my dilemma. I call it the Netflix or pray dilemma. And I'm sure some people, one or two other people maybe in this room, might feel the same conflict going on. Now, I had this, I had this, um, this experience just a couple of weeks ago, and I made the right decision to pray. I thought, right, I need time with Jesus. I am so drained and so empty right now. I need Jesus. So I went for a big run, 
And uh, as I was running, I was praying and just calling out to God. And I got back home and I just had some time on my own and just continued praying and seeking God. And from the start, about three hours into my prayer time, my time with Jesus, three hours in, God showed up in a powerful way. Out of the blue, I was just kind of wrapping things up. And he spoke to me so clearly, right to my heart, about an issue, something that I was really struggling with, and something that needed healed in me from the past. And the Holy Spirit filled that void in my heart and, and did this wonderful work in me in that moment. Just took five, ten minutes after about three hours of praying. And I was changed. And I was saying to Courtney yesterday, I was like, that moment was so significant. I feel like a different person now. Now, when I reflect on that and look back, I'm like, I could have missed out. I could have missed out. I could have just had a day on the couch with Fast and Furious movies. I could have missed out in that precious moment. Now, I think it's harder than ever in our, in our society and the way that we live, digital age and digital distraction, Facebook time, Instagram. I think it's harder than ever to have those quality times where God just wants time with us to heal some stuff, to tell you what he thinks about you, for you to tell him what you, th- you think of him. Jesus said, remain in me. John chapter 15, remain in me and I will remain in you. It's like a marriage or a friendship. If you don't have quality time, it's rubbish. <laughs> quality time is what makes it so wonderful. It's what makes a relationship so special. It's the same with us and Jesus. Quality time is where the cool stuff happens. Quality time with Jesus is where the great moments happens, where the, like in Acts, where the, the room's shaking and God's speaking in power. So that's my first one. If we pray, if we're in a position to experience God to the fullest. Second one, why I pray, why I believe we pray here in this church. If I pray, I am more likely to see dramatic, much-needed change in circumstances. If I pray, I am much more likely to see a dramatic, much-needed change in circumstances. This is action praying. This is taking action in prayer. To unpack this a bit, there's a fantastic um, story in Isaiah 37, is Hezekiah. King Hezekiah is king of Judah at the time, and he is in trouble. The enemy is at the gates. There is an army coming to destroy him. Destroy him, destroy his kingdom, wipe them out. And they send a letter. And a letter, he reads the letter and it says, I'll paraphrase, Hey Hezekiah, king of Judah, I'm the king of Syria, I'm coming with an army and we're going to annihilate you. Just like we've done to everyone else, we're coming for you next, buddy. Not a very nice letter to receive. Hezekiah's in a bit of a pickle, right? What does he do? Let's read. Hezekiah received the letter. This is Isaiah 37. Hezekiah received the letter from the hand of the messenger. He read it, and Hezekiah went to the house of the Lord, spread it before the Lord, and prayed to the Lord. A few verses later, God responds. It says, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, because you prayed to me concerning this king of Assyria. This is what the Lord has spoken concerning him. 
And a few verses later, and the angel of the Lord went out and struck down 180,000 in the Assyrian camp, right? So Hezekiah, what does he do? He prays. He lays that letter down. Instead of panicking and freaking out, he just goes straight to God, lays that out. God, do something. I'm in trouble here. And God says, and this is the bit that gets me, because you prayed, because you prayed. God doesn't say, well, I don't know why you're praying. I was going to sort this out for you anyway. He says, because you prayed, I'm responding. Because you prayed, here's what I'm going to do. That kind of, it's a bit mind-boggling. And I think there's, when I think about prayer, I don't know if this would be helpful for you. It's really helpful for me. When I think about prayer, there's kind of two analogies that I think of. The first one is this. If you're, if you're a parent and you're a good parent, you kind of, your kid wants some food. You kind of teach your kid to say things like, please, can I have some food? May I have some food? Thank you. You teach them to communicate. You want a bit of a dialogue that's healthy. You want to see some growth, some maturity. But you're going to give them food anyway, hopefully, if you're a good parent, you know. <laughs> you're going to give them food anyway. A lot of people see prayer that way. That God just does what he wants, and he kind of wants to teach us kind of how to communicate with him, how to grow and mature. There's truth in that, don't get me wrong, but it's so much more. There's way more to prayer. I believe the Bible points this out. Here's another analogy, and I think this is a little bit more accurate. When I started my job with Tear Fund a couple years ago, one of the first things my boss said to me was, Stuart, if you want to see things happen here at Tear Fund, if you've got an idea, if you want to make some changes, you need to step up and do it. You need, to, you need to put a plan together. You need to put a term of reference, a budget together. You need to work it all out and present your case for that new project, that new thing that you want to see changed. And we'll get together and we'll make it happen together. But stand up for it. Make it happen. Put the plan together. I kind of feel like that's a little bit more what it's like with us and God in prayer. God has sovereignly designed it this way to give us a genuine responsibility and role to pray. He wants us to partner with him, taking action, taking action, being not okay with things not being, being the way they are. Take action, step up. Our prayers make a big difference. And that's why it says, because you prayed, Hezekiah, because you prayed. Moses, Moses and Abraham had occasions where they changed God's mind. God gives us a serious role. Another thing about the Hezekiah prayer, God miraculously intervened and sorted the situation out because he prayed. He didn't just go, Hezekiah, Hezekiah wasn't just in the temple praying and he was like, God, you know, I felt warm fuzzies. I felt a bit comforted. I feel a little bit more encouraged. That's great. God didn't just do that. He did more. He sent an angel and he defeated the enemy. tell you one last story then I'm finished. So for my life, 2015. 2015 was the worst year of my life, bar none. Hopefully it will be the worst year of my entire life. I don't want to go for it again. Um, it was horrendous. Let me tell you a few things that were going on. So I had ministry failure. I was a, a church planter in, in Oban and that, that I failed. 
uh, and I had to come home, and that was horrible. Um, I was in a head-on car collision at 60 miles an hour. That was horrible. Um, I had complete financial collapse. That was horrible. It was horrendous. Uh, I had multiple relational breakdowns, conflicts with people, friendships coming to an end. It was a horrible time. Courtney, my wife, got cancer. Uh, Lots of bad stuff were going on. We lost our flat. We still own a flat we don't know. My dad got cancer and died. Okay, so that was a horrible time. Even reflecting on it just now, it's quite emotional. God totally saved us from that. And I'll tell you what happened. During that time, I didn't do everything well, as people, people don't do things particularly well when they're going through that. But one thing I did well on reflection, I prayed Hard. I prayed hard. There's a, a, a canal that runs down Mary Hill. Every day I was out there praying. And I, I didn't just pray, uh, just, oh God, everything's terrible. I came to God with five specific prayer requests. Five very specific things. And these were things like, like Hezekiah. God, if you don't do this, I'm in trouble. God, I need you to work here. I can't do this. I need a miracle. Five specific things. And God answered, and I can declare this as truth, God answered every single one. Every single one. Picture this. I prayed for a certain amount of money, a specific amount of money, because we were, um, we were in terrible debt. And I said, okay, God, I need this miracle. I need this amount of money. I don't know how it's going to happen, but I'm laying it before you. And I'll never forget the day that I held in my hand a check for that exact amount of money. If my people pray. Now that happened. I can never deny that. And you can never convince me that this isn't real. Do you know? If my people pray, I will heal. I will restore. Church, what would happen if we pray like Peggy and Christine? What will God do in our lives, in our community? Could you imagine? I've got two challenges. Number one, that little pamphlet uh, at the beginning that changed America, it said, let's unite in extraordinary prayer Thank the Lord. This is a church that does extraordinary prayer, and we can expect great things, but join in. We've got 50 days of prayer, 50 days of prayer happening at the moment. A challenge for you, if you're not already doing it, join in. rehope.co.uk forward slash blog, um, or just speak to anyone. I'm sure there's loads of people here that are taking part. Join in. See what God will do in your life to bring breakthrough. My second one, spend two hours this week praying. Two hours. We're on season seven of Friends on Netflix. We can afford two hours this week. I'm sure a lot of people are the same. Two hours. First hour, just spend time with Jesus. Just let him, let, let soak him in, presence. Don't even say anything, maybe. Just spend time with Jesus. Second hour, that's when you push in and you say, this is what I want to see breakthrough. First hour, just wait on God. Second hour, this is what I want to see breakthrough in God. Let me pray. Let's close. 
Yeah, Father God, thank you that you are the God who hears our prayers. Thank you, God, that you are, that you love us so much that you are willing to step in and bring breakthrough, bring real, tangible breakthrough in our lives. Thank you, God, that you want to speak to us. You want to heal us. You want to miraculously change our lives, everything that we're going through. And Lord, I pray that you'll bring awakening, just what we prayed and just what we sang today. Bring, bring, bring awakening here in Glasgow, in this church, in our homes, just like you did in Lewis, in New England, and Wales. Lord, we long for you. We long for a touch from heaven. Thank you, God. Thank you that you love us so much that we can abide in you. We welcome you, Holy Spirit. Help us to pray. Help us to seek your face. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.